Well, there is a verse of scripture that tells us simply this. God is love. God is love. And so from the word, we know that God is love. He is love. He, it is his very nature. It is his very essence. This is the teaching of the Bible. Now, the issue with this, you say there's an issue? Yeah, there is an issue for the skeptic that looks upon a statement like that and says, well, if God is love, then who did he love before the creation? Before there was anyone else to love, if he is indeed love, if it is of his essence, if it is of his nature, then who did he love? How was there love before the creation? And this is the question. If God is love, whom did he love before the creation? In eternity past, before the singularity, whom did God love? And the answer to that question is profound and one that we need to understand so that we can understand the first pattern of love. The answer is this. God had perfect community in the Trinity before the creation. In what we in theology would call the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, there was love within the Godhead. When we look at God's commands and his plan for mankind, which is to love one another, and we see this command go through all of scripture, there's the command to love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. The command is rested upon the foundation that love first existed in the Godhead. In the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll find it in our text tonight in John 1520, I think I'm going to have it up there on the screen wrong. It says 520. It's actually 1520. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. Okay, so here we have John, the apostle, explaining to us that the Father, the Heavenly Father, loves the Son. And so before there ever was anything, there was love that existed in the Godhead, in the Trinity. In fact, the doctrine of the Trinity best explains the unity and diversity that man seeks and has not found in any other pursuit in philosophy. It best explains the foundation of love that there has to be, there needs to be, for there to be the command to us to love one another. Now we come into John 15 here, and Jesus is right in the middle of his teaching to the disciples, again, in what is called the upper room discourse. He has told them that, they, that for them, what they need to do is to abide in him. The earlier part of this chapter that we're going to look at tonight, we're not going to look at that part, but just to give you a little bit of a, a context, he's already talked to them about he, that he's the vine and they're the branches, and they need to remain in him, and they need to be connected to him in order to continue to have life, and in order to continue to be fruitful in their life, they need to stay connected to him. It's, it's uh, you know, a basic picture right out of botany, but it's true spiritually. If we're going to be alive in Christ, we need to be connected to the vine who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, Jesus talks to the disciples about love. And what he gives the disciples 
what he gave the disciples on that particular night and to us tonight is the pattern of love that flows from the Godhead. And it's an incredible pattern and one that needs to be understood and followed. So here in John 15, Jesus lays out the pattern of love and really he gives us the keys to living in the love of God and then extending that love to those around us. You know, there's, there's, there's one thing I think that man seeks is we do seek happiness. We do seek joy. We, 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 we don't want the negative. We don't want negativity. We want happiness. We want joy. And, and where else can that be found other than in the, in, the, in the perfect place, in the community of the Godhead, love, joy, and peace found in him first? And, and if we're going to have that joy that we ultimately seek, that happiness that we ultimately seek, the best place to find that, really the only place to find that, is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, do you want joy And do you want that joy to be full? Because that's why Jesus came. He came that our joy would be full. Let's look at this pattern of love that the Lord gives us, that Jesus gives us. The first point is this tonight, abide in my love. Let's look at it. John 15, verse nine. It says this, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will Abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's stop right there. To understand the pattern of love, for us, the command is this, first abide in the love of God. The key to understanding love is to first understand that love exists first in God, in the Godhead. As the Father, this is what Jesus says, as the Father loved me, he's the Son, right? As the Father loved me, I have loved you. So Jesus is telling them, look, I am I'm operating really on, 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 a, on a game plan here, on a pattern The Father loved me, and now he sent me into the world, and now I've loved you just exactly as the Father loved me. And so you need to abide in my love. And if you're going to abide in the love of Jesus, you're going to abide in the love of the Father. Amen? And so this is the command. Before Jesus gets to any command or exhortation for us to love, he first explains the love that has always existed and that exists in the Godhead. And this is, this is a theological term. It's, it's the idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Father loved me. Have you ever wondered why humans crave love, why we crave community, why we crave fellowship, why we want to be with other people, why we need that touch? We need it. We crave it. And it's because that's the way we were made. We were made after him in his likeness. We've been learning this in Genesis. We were made in the image. We were made as the image in our likeness, he said in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And here in the creation, we see 
the unity in the diversity. We see that there's, a, there's this diversity in the, in the Godhead. There's Father, Son, and Spirit, but there's absolute unity. He says, let us make man in our image. And a, a, a good way, I'm, well, I was going to say a good way to understand the Trinity. I don't know if there is a good way to understand it. I mean, it's one of the tougher ones to understand theologically. I mean, you can sit there and think you're about to figure it out, and then your whole mind explodes. And, uh, and you know what? Let me say this on that point. That's a good thing. You say, well, how come it's so hard to understand if, if it's really a truth and the Trinity would be easy to understand it and we'd be able to explain it and we'd be able to draw analogies and we'd have it all explained. No, 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 I think God's, God is so great and he's so complex, he's the maximally great being that if we could understand him and fully explain him, then he wouldn't be God. And the fact that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around exactly what God is, who he is, what his nature is, the, the whole Trinity thing, it tells me that, yeah, there is, there is a being that is beyond, that is literally beyond our ways, beyond our understanding, amen? And, um, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a kind of a thing in, in philosophy. If you, you know, uh, you talk about God in the, in the ontological argument for the existence of God, God is said to be the maximally great being. So the, the, the greatest possible being that you could think of, that's God. Well, if you could think of a greater possible being than that, then the other one wasn't God, that's God, okay? So whatever, he's the greatest, he's the maximally great being. And so um, I guess the moral of that story is that we can't think really of the, of the maximally great being because he's beyond. If we, can, if we can figure him out in our heads, then there's something beyond that that is God. And, and so the, the, I think one, uh, an area maybe that you could wrap your mind around it a little bit is to understand it in the Trinity as a triunity. That, that God is one, there's, the, the, the Lord our God is one, but he's a complex unity. The word there in uh, Deuteronomy 6 where it says, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, is the word ekad, and it, it's one, it's a complex unity. And so there's a triunity within God, and within that triunity, Love existed, amen? He is love, and the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loved the Father, and, and there was community in the Trinity. And we are made after his likeness, and that's why we need love. That's why we desire love. That's why we want that community. And the greatest thing in our life really is not an accomplishment, is not a possession, but it's in the relationships and the people that are in our lives and the people that we love and that love us. Yes. Those are the greatest things. Because honestly, you can't take any of the rest of the stuff with you. <laughs> You're not gonna take the degree. You're not gonna take the bank account over here or the house. What you are gonna take hopefully with you into eternity is the relationships, the people in your family, and in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? So we see this unity in the Trinity and this love that existed in the Godhead from eternity. So Jesus says, he says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. So friends, I want you to see the pattern. The Father loved me. 
Jesus says, the Father loves me. And that's how I've loved you. That's how I've loved you. And I want you to love each other in that same way. And so the pattern continues from the Godhead. Just in the same way that the Father loved me, I have loved you. I'm showing you a pattern of love. And I think this is foundational. This is foundational, and we need to get this. This is maybe a point maybe that a lot of people miss. People don't really think about, oh, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the, the, there was this per, there's perfect love and perfect community in the Godhead. Now he says, abide in my love. You see, the pattern of the love, the Father loved the Son, and I have loved you. Now I want you to just abide in my love. This is what I want you to do. Now the word abide there is a Greek word. It means to, to remain, to abide, to sojourn, to tarry, not to depart. It means to continue to be present in to be held to, to be kept, continue in, to continue to be, to last, to endure, in reference to a state or condition, to remain as one, not to become another or different. So he says, abide in my love. Stay, live in my love. Make the love of God where you live. I mean, this is where we do it, folks, right? I mean, this is where we need to be. We need to be abiding in the love of God. And we can look at what's going on in our lives, right? We can look at it and say, wait, 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 wait. Am I abiding in the love of God? Am I continuing to stay? Am I, am I staying in the love of God? And, and we can look at it and we can, we can check ourselves. The, ne the next thing Jesus tells us, he tells us how to abide in his love. He tells us that if we keep his commandments, that we will abide in his love. Now, this is where a lot of people get frustrated because they say, now, if I got, I got to keep all the commandments in order to abide in God's love, I mean, that's hard. I mean, I'm not going to be able to do it, Right? I mean, in fact, I already didn't keep them earlier this afternoon, you know? <laughs> when I did something, somewhere along the line I didn't keep it. Let me suggest to you that there is the idea of obey here, but there's an idea of holding on to the commandments. That when you look at the person of Christ... And the, the, the example that we have is the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God in the people of Israel was the perfect representation of the ultimate dwelling of God who came to dwell and tabernacle among men by taking on human flesh. And in the tabernacle, you had the Ark of the Covenant. You had this rectangular box with a lid on it. And on that lid was the mercy seat, the cherubim on the mercy seat. And after the construction of the tabernacle and specifically the Ark of the Covenant, Moses put the Ten Commandments, the tablets, where did he put them? He put them in that ark. He put them in the box. That's where he put them. 
So what we see in the, in the tabernacle, and specifically in the Ark of the Covenant, is that we see that Christ is the one that keeps the commandments. He, he keeps the commandments, and ultimately Jesus came into this world as a human being, and he kept the commandments. He not only obeyed them, but he holds them. He's the one that holds them in, in trust. And when we keep the commandments, Yes, we obey them, but first we hold them in a place that they need to be in our lives. You'll never obey the commandments until you first keep the commandments, until you first possess and hold the commandments. And so people go out there, I'm going to keep the commandments, I'm going to keep the commandments. And you haven't put the commandments in any type of place in your life where they're in that rightful place where God's law, God's commands need to be in your life. And so, 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 so. The Christian life becomes one of, of absolute frustration in trying to hold on to these commandments, and you can't do it because you haven't first possessed them. You haven't kept them in that way. And the model is Jesus perfectly because he's the one that holds on to the commandments. The tablets were in the, in the box. You know? Remember when... Um, when Indiana Jones found the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, remember they were gonna open it, they were up on that hill, you know? And we were all waiting and they were gonna, you know, what's inside, what's inside? I'm like, I know what's inside there. I read the book. <laughs> if that's the real box, the 10, the Ten Commandments, the tablets are in there and a couple other things, a jar of manna and a rod that budded, Aaron's rod, right? We know, we know. You're watching the Spielberg come out and all this. No, I know what's in the. I know what's in the in the box, right? What's in the box is Jesus. He kept the commandments. He holds on to them, and and that's what we've got to do. We've got to first possess them. We've got to first put them in that rightful place in our lives. Amen. And we're simply following the pattern that that Jesus uh, marked out perfectly for us. But then there's that aspect of keeping the commandments, of obeying the commandments, right? Well, let's just briefly take a look at the, the Ten Commandments. I think it's always good if we're going to abide in the love of God that we abide and keep his commandments and we obey his commandments. Now, here's where I want to just throw the lid off of the whole thing for you because as soon as you get into the commandments, people go, oh, well, well, you know, this is what I don't like about religion. And this is what I don't like about that church stuff and because it's about these commandments and all this stuff. Well, let me submit to you that this, these commandments are the love of God for you. These commandments are the absolute love of God. And if you're going to abide in the love of God and you're going to keep the commandments because these are the love of God, because don't you know that God loves you so much that he knows the type of things and the type of things that you should do and the type of things that you shouldn't do? So you got to throw out that mindset that says, well, I don't, I don't keep the commandments and I don't do that church stuff because it's rules and regulations. No, you've got to embrace it from a standpoint that God loves you. And these 10 commandments are the 10 love commandments of God for you. Amen. You shall have no other God before me. That's number one. Because God knows that if you worship anything else before him, you're not going to be right. <laughs> you're going to be off on a wrong tangent and you're not going to have life in you. And this is honoring God and loving him. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image. This is a command to worship and to love the one true God and not make ourselves a God. The first one deals with not having another God. There's people that have other gods. I mean, they literally have other gods. Then there's people that make for themselves a God. And that's covered in number two. Don't make for yourself a carved image. We call that idolatry. When we carve out for ourselves, either real or imagined, we call that idolatry when it's not the one true living God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now people, uh, there's growing up, there, you know, the understanding of this particular commandment that it was, uh, that, that it was a commandment geared around vocabulary. And so people said, well, don't, you know, you don't say, you know, like OMG or, you know, but the whole thing, you know, and, 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 and you certainly don't text it, right? You don't text it, you know, even the abbreviation. But, but this really, this commandment doesn't really have anything to do with vocabulary. This actually has to do with ambassadorship. This actually has to do with taking the name in vain, representing the name in vain. And, and so we love God because we don't want to represent, misrepresent him and to take on that um, ill-begotten ambassadorship. Four, remember the Sabbath. This is an understanding of the rest that God has for us. He worked and rested, and God showed us the pattern there. And we've just been talking about this in our Genesis series. And it tells us that God's in control. It tells us that it's okay to slow down and rest. Because why? Because he loves you, and he's got everything under control. And you can stop and take a breather and rest from the work. It's keeping the commandments. Honoring your father and mother. Everything Jesus did, he did to honor the Father. You can't read the Gospels without understanding that he did everything he did to honor his heavenly Father. And he honored his mother, even on the cross. He took care of her and gave her to John the Beloved, the writer of this Gospel that we're looking at tonight. You shall not murder. This is valuing life. God values life. He loves life. And we're taught to love life too. And, and, and to have a love and respect for all human life. He's a life-giving spirit. And we're not to take another life in, in that sense and making our own decisions about that. You shall not commit adultery. This shows us the faithfulness of God. You see, people say, oh, well, God doesn't want me to have all these different relationships. No, he wants you to first see that he's faithful. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And you can count on me. And I signed this covenant, Abraham, with myself. Because you can count on it. It's rock solid. And, and, and he loves you. And faithfulness is all about love. And he wants that for you and your life. And he wants you to learn that faithfulness because it is the very love of God. You shall not steal. God's the original owner, right? He owns the world, the, wor the, earth is the, Lord's, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. And God, as an owner, values ownership. 
And we honor God and his ownership when we honor the ownership of others. You shall not bear false witness. God is truth and he cannot lie. And this is valuing truth and loving truth. If we love God, we love truth. And number 10, you shall not covet. This shows us that this all takes place in the heart. This commandment is the one that shows us that all of them take place first in the heart where we need to be abiding in the love of God in the first place. And if we'll abide in the love of God and realize that it's in the heart that all this happens and then expresses itself in outward action, that if we'll love him and love others, then we're going to do well to keep these commands and realize the love of God that he has for us. And Jesus tells us that if we do these things, that his joy would be in us and our joy would be full. People say they want a full life. People say they want a happy life. People say they want joy and happiness in their life. Well, this is, this is actually how you have it. You first have a relationship with God. You come face to face with the love of God. You keep and hold the commandments, which are the 10 love commandments of God to us. And we live our lives accordingly. And it's pretty much a guarantee. If you'll do what Jesus says, I mean, if you'll do what Jesus says, you're gonna have joy and, you're gonna, and it's gonna be full. I mean, I can give you that tonight with 100% trust in it. Now, secondly, in finishing up tonight, love one another. Let's pick it back up, verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus continues with the pattern of love. The pattern starts in the Godhead, continues us and back to God, and then the final part is where that love extends between us as humans, as men and women, that there's love in the Godhead, there's love from the Godhead to us, and then there's love from us back to God, and then lastly, there's love between us, but that love flows from God to us to one another. This is the pattern. And this is where you and I get the example from God. Jesus gave us a, a commandment. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So we are commanded to love one another. How do we do that, right? How do we do that? Is it just like a feeling? Oh, well, I love, I love, I love everyone, right? Uh, Jesus gives us that pattern as well. No, not only does he give us a pattern, but Jesus 
never asks us to do anything that he doesn't fully demonstrate perfectly for us. Let me say that again. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't perfectly demonstrate for us to do. And so when he says, love one another, a new commandment I give you, love one another, he says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And I call you friends. You are no longer servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing. His, his master does not tell his servants what he's doing. But I call you friends because I've told you exactly what I'm doing. I'm getting ready to go and lay myself down for you. I am the shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he does everything he asks us to do, not anything that he hasn't fully demonstrated and given us the perfect example to follow. Amen? Amen. What, a, what, a, what an amazing God we serve. Amen? What an amazing God we serve. We love each other as he has loved us. Well, how did he love us? Greater love is no one than this. Then to lay down his life for his friends. I may have mentioned this before in another message, but an interesting comparison is to look at the last words of Muhammad and compare and contrast them to the last, some of the last words of Jesus from the cross. Of course, we know he doesn't have last words. <laughs> He's still speaking, right? We're gonna continue to talk to him all through eternity. Muhammad, on the other hand, he had last words. <clears throat> from the Hadith, and if you're not familiar with Islam, but you have, you have the Quran, Quran, which is supposed to be the, the Holy Quran, which is the, the, the verses given to Muhammad, dictated to him from an angel. And then you also have in, in Islam, you have what's called the Hadith, the Hadith is kind of the historical record of Muhammad's life. It's many things that, that Muhammad said. And so people would write down things that he said. And from the Hadith, these are some of the last words of Muhammad. The prophet, in his fatal illness, oh, by the way, he was poisoned. <laughs> if, you, if, you know the, if you know the history of Islam. The prophet in his fatal illness said, Allah cursed the Jews and the Christians because they took the graves of their prophets as places for praying. What's he talking about? Well, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that the Byzantine Christians in I think the second, third, fourth centuries actually went back to Jerusalem and back to the holy places and they found all the places and they built churches over them. And so in the seventh century, Muhammad is actually declaring a curse on the Jews and the Christians for turning the, 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 the special places into places of prayer. And that's exactly what they were turned into. They're little chapels, basically. You can go in there and, and pray. And so here, here, here's, here's some of his uh, dying words. Allah cursed the Jews and Christians because they took the graves of their prophets as places for praying. Jesus' last words about those who had crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A big contrast 
that we see in this. Jesus is forgiving. He's about to die, lay, you know, take his dying breath. And he says, he breathes, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Muhammad on his deathbed is, is still cursing the Jews and the Christians. John put it this way in his epistle, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his love for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so Jesus Christ is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? Yeah, there was a song. I think it was Foreigner, right? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Okay, we'll show you. Jesus showed us what love is. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus called the disciples friends. And then he went and he laid down his life for them. What an awesome display of love. And this is the, this is the love that is supposed to characterize the fellowship of believers. This is the type of love that is supposed to characterize the fellowship of believers, but, but too often times, too many times, it doesn't. There's quarrelings, there's strifes, there's battles, there's wars, there's fights over who's right and who's wrong. And missing the whole point that we've been brought into a community, into a fellowship that, where we're feasting with the Lord. We've been brought into love. We've been brought into the highest plane of existence that there is. We've been, we've been brought into life. We've been brought into, into righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we're quibbling and quabbling over, over this and that. And Jesus says, hey, this is the type of love that I want to see. This is what I showed you. You may be here and you've been hurt by someone. You may be here and you may have been hurt by a believer in Jesus. And you say to yourself, well, he's a Christian. He's not supposed to treat me like this. I don't know if I believe in this whole God and Jesus stuff. And, and there's people who are away from the Lord. They're away from the fellowship of believers, not, not, not just this one, but I'm talking about the, the church universal, right? Because they've been hurt. And I want to just tell you that the hurt from anyone, the hurt from a brother or sister even, doesn't diminish the love of God that exists one bit. One speck. Yes. And I want to just tell you, if you can, and for your own good, just to get that out of your mind. Because I've been hurt. I mean, raise your hand if you've been hurt. Is there anybody in here who's not been hurt? Okay, let me just... Is there, okay, no. I've been hurt. 
If I allow my mind to think long, hard enough, I can think of the, I can see, I can see some faces. <laughs> I don't do that. Don't want to do that. But you know what? I stand here to tell you that I'm still a believer in love. I'm still a believer in the love of God. I haven't given up on the love of God, and the love of God hasn't given up on me. And, I, and I'm not going to allow some, some hurt that maybe came into my life that ends up being that which prevents me from receiving the love of God that I need so desperately, and then in turn, being a vessel of honor to give that love to the people that need it around me in my own life, in my family, and my extended family, and in my friends and my fellowship. And so I want to encourage you to be a believer in God, be a believer in the love of God. Amen. The last thing he finishes up with, and we'll close with this, and then it's time to eat, right? He says, I'd, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. This is, this is a glorious truth. He chose them. This story is, this is the story. This is our story. God chose us. God chose you. You're sitting here because God chose you. He chose Matthew. The writer of Matthew, yeah, Levi was his name. He was a tax collector. He literally sat up on a toll booth in Galilee. And Jesus came by one day and said, come on down here and follow me. And Jesus and Matthew, Levi, got off the toll collecting booth, came down and gave up his tax collecting life and followed Jesus. I chose you. You did not choose me. And on and on and on it was true for all of the, all of the apostles. And there's no difference for you either. That you, that you were chosen by him to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he wants us to bear fruit. So Jesus leaves us with one final repeat of the command. Love one another. These things I command you that you love one another. Now look around. Everybody look around. Love one another. 